Hi, I'm Dave Westberg, and you're listening to the Billboard Insider Podcast, where I interview industry leaders about trends impacting the U.S. out-of-home advertising business. This podcast is sponsored by Adomni. Adomni, increase your revenue today by listing your digital billboard on Adomni. Today's guest is Ike Wingate. Ike is president of Wingate Media Group, an independent out-of-home advertising company with 61 out-of-home faces, four digital billboard faces, and 40 indoor screens in Tennessee. Ike is one of the best of the new breed of young, independent out-of-home operators. Welcome to the show, Ike. Thank you, Dave. I appreciate that introduction and that compliment. I take that highly uh, as a high compliment from you. Ike, you started in radio and then migrated to out-of-home. How did that happen? That's a great question. I technically started in out of home, went to radio, and then went back to out of home. And what I mean by that is I actually grew up in the out of home business. My dad was in radio before I was born and then migrated into out of home. When I was about five years old, he started his company in Northwest Arkansas, actually with some help from the late Ralph Tyler of Tyler Media in Oklahoma City. And so I grew up in the business. If I wanted to spend time with my dad, I had to go to work. And so it was in the days of the paper and glue and he would, you know, strip the the paper off and there would be pieces all over the ground. And my job was to go pick those wet, sticky pieces of paper up and put them in the trash. And usually if I was lucky, I got a 20 ounce Coke out of the deal. And so I kind of had always been around it growing up. And then as I got older, I started to get interested in radio. And my dad told me, if you want to make any money at all, stay out of radio. And as a good, obedient child, I did the exact opposite of what my dad told me to do and uh, started working at a radio station in high school. And then when I went to college at the University of Arkansas, got a job at a top 40 station and kind of moved up through the ranks there, actually put the college career on hold and ended up being the program director and afternoon drive guy on that radio station and then ended up getting a job for a syndicated talk show in Nashville called Dawson McAllister. And then my wife, she was always going to be an optometrist Hmm. and she was going to be my sugar mama while I played (laughs) on the radio. She was going to bring home the bacon. And one day she came home and said, you know, I think I want to stay home and start a family. Yeah. Yeah. And my first reaction was, well, I can help you with that for sure. But how do we replace your income? And so I thought about it and the idea came to mind. You know what? I will build a few small billboards to replace your income. And that's how we'll accomplish that. And so one thing kind of led to another. The business kept growing. I eventually took a job working as the director of syndication and distribution for the Dave Ramsey show. And the company kept growing and growing. And in 2014, my wife and I decided that we wanted to follow our dream and kind of go full time into the billboard business. And we were moving in that direction. And then one day she said, I'm pregnant again with our third child. We had a one year old and a three year old already. And so we had to you know, come to the conclusion, were we going to play it safe with another child on the way? Or are we going to follow the dream and put both feet in? And that's what we did. We decided to go ahead and go full time with the billboard business in 2014, and it's just been one of the best decisions we've ever made in our life. So you're up to 61 static phases and four digital boards. Ike, have you done it organically or with acquisitions or both? We've done primarily everything organically. I've developed every site myself with the exception of four sites that we bought the leases and permits to in Nashville, and then we ended up actually building the structures ourselves. So except for those four, we've done all of those organically. That's one of my favorite parts of the business is going in and have the vision, 
having the vision to see a location that isn't built and create it and put something there that was not there before, including the process of negotiating the lease, getting the permits and all that stuff. It's a lot of fun to do site development. That's one of my favorite parts of the job. So what are some of your instincts that make you say you're driving by a lot and you say that's a good site? Well, it depends on the visual clutter that may or may not exist there. I, I look for places that otherwise couldn't be used for anything else. And, you know, I I find a little strip of grass between two pieces of property and I go, they're not going to use that for anything else. And they're having to pay someone to mow it. And those are the types of things I look for. You know, before I do that, though, I make sure I understand the local regulations. I understand what I can and cannot do. And then I start fitting those pieces of property into those parameters. I made the mistake early on of calling the local planning office and asking some advice <laughs> on some things. Of course, those they never want to help you with that kind of stuff, and they right. actually will give you bad information on purpose. Right. So I went around looking for sites for two months, thinking I understood what was legal and what wasn't, and I ended up having a lot of – I wasted a lot of time in conversations before I realized that I needed to do it the other way around. And so a lot of it is, you know, you look at visual clutter, see what's around, you look at traffic speed, and then personally, I'm okay with big billboards, but you don't always have to put a tall billboard there. And so if I can, you know, build a great billboard without having to go 50 feet in the air and it's right in the windshield of the viewer, I'm going to do that. And nine times out of 10, in the places we've done that, we've been able to charge very close to the rate we would be able to charge if it was twice as big. And I know some people think I'm crazy, but the return that I get on smaller signs is fantastic as far as getting the return on investment. And so, you know, a lot of times I am looking for places that I don't have to build a monstrosity. We will if we have to, and it's a great spot. But sometimes, you know, in my own experience, you know, your ego can get out ahead of you and go, I'm going to build the biggest billboard possible with my name on it and everyone's going to love it. Well, that may not be the case. It may, it's more about how do you deliver value and get into the windshield of the viewer, the end viewer, and that's what's going to deliver value and response for your advertisers. So you've brought that same approach of bigger isn't always better to digital boards. I know you've got some large size digital billboards. You've also got some smaller, what are they, like poster-sized boards? In I think of the board you have in Shelbyville, for instance. How do you mm-hmm. decide which size to install and what's been your experience with the smaller digital boards? Great question. I've had this question a few times and, and a lot of it comes down to the local regulations. And so sometimes you know, I've come across regulations that say, okay, if you're going to build over this size, you have to be X amount of feet off the right of way. And so you end up going 50 feet off the right of way to build a sign, you know, that's bigger than 100 square feet. And so we've experimented from the, the small digital size in a case where I can get right up next to the road as long as I'm under a certain square footage. And so that's one of the reasons why we've done that. And you know, I've got great friends in the business that might say, oh, man, that's crazy. You build the bigger sign, go out away from the road, especially some of my friends that sell, you know, sell structures for a living, which I understand their point of view. 
But the numbers would disagree with that and say, in some cases, you can build a great sign and still be under 100 square feet and be close to the road and deliver value back to advertisers. So in this particular case, we used a light king because of the way that the lights line up. They actually don't do, for this particular model, sort of a triangulated pattern. Mm -hmm. They they do them in a straight line. And Mm. so it made them appear better quality better resolution than a 16 millimeter that was separated. And wow. so that's why we went with that model. Actually, I've been accused of being anal in some cases. I prefer the word <laughs> thorough. I actually went and saw some other signs of a similar size by the same manufacturer in person before we decided to to buy. And that's why we went with them in this particular case. And I will tell you, it is going to pay for itself in the first 12 months. Wow. Wow. Sometimes a smaller board, you know, if you have a big 14 by 48, you have to get huge contracts. And sometimes a smaller board, smaller market, the fact that you can maybe charge a little less, you can sell it out. That's right. You know, sometimes in business, you know, the obvious things aren't obvious. And a lot of it comes down to Can you get somebody on there and keep them on there? That's where the real profitability is. If you're having to churn people constantly, that takes time. And so what value does your time have? And so if I can build a smaller sign and get 80% of the revenue, but always have it full and not have to continually do maintenance on the customer and refill it over and over and over, that's that's delivering the other 20% of value back to me in time. And that's that's well worth it to me. Where Where is the hassle factor in your ratio when you're looking at what you're going to build and, and who you're going to have to recruit to be on that board? Ike, there's a knee-jerk response to digital billboards. We don't want our town to become like Las Vegas. And what people overlook is the way a digital billboard can assist the community and assist local public safety agencies. Talk a little bit about some of the ways you've, you've done some innovative things with your billboards to assist public safety agencies in the local community. Right. Some of this comes from my background in radio. You know, in radio, you're required by law from the FCC to deliver a certain amount of public affairs programming back to the local community. So it's, it's always been sort of normal to me that we have a communication tool that we can use and it can help the community. Digital is, it's just a game changer for these types of value back to the community. And so we've done, of course, things like weather, any local nonprofit event will advertise for free. That's an easy thing. We put local high school sports scores on our digital assets. We've worked with apparatus and got the idea from Jim Madalone for the tornado warnings that instantly take over our digital properties when they're in the warned area. That's been huge. Of course, Amber Alerts. In any time someone has an event or, or something like that and it's nonprofit, we put it on our digital billboards. They reach out to us. First, it, it felt like, oh, we're just we're giving away the store here. And we even do free designs for them because at the end of the day, If you're delivering value back to the community, it is going to come back to you in some way. There's always a good return on doing good in the community. And I think we need to embrace that more. You know, you get a lot more favorable response and favorable influence when you're delivering value without expectation of monetary return back to the community. Radio does this really well. The out-of-home industry can do it better. 
Let's take a break here for a word from our sponsor. Adomni easily connects with Dectronics, Formedco, PrismView, or Watchfire billboards and enables advertisers and agencies to quickly find and buy your unsold billboard space. With Audience IQ technology, advertisers can target consumer profiles such as demographics, behavior, and interests that travel past your billboards. Join the fastest growing out-of-home network with over 100,000 digital screens. Visit adomni.com or email sales at adomni.com to learn more. Mention this Billboard Insider podcast to receive one free year of Adomni's white-labeled booking engine on your website. You made a decision a few years ago to run a movie billboard ad, which had been turned down by another billboard company. Talk about that. This was in an election year, feeling very similar to right now. This was back in 2016. The Republican National Convention was happening in downtown Cleveland. And this movie called God's Not Dead 2 was wanting to advertise downtown, doing a big wallscape. And they had done all the details of the buy and were about ready to go to installation. And then the company decided to pull the ad because it was too incendiary. They thought it was too provocative or, or was going to offend people. The, the ad said, I'd rather stand with God and be judged by the world than stand with the world and be judged by God. You know, there's a whole series of these God's Not dead yeah, movies christian, christian movies basically uh-huh. uh, yeah yeah put on by a company called pure flicks and mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. you know my family had seen the first one we liked it i saw this story online and thought it was kind of ridiculous you mm-hmm. know of all the offensive ads that you can put up there they were pulling it because of that so i thought it was kind of funny i posted something on facebook and a couple of my friends said well why don't you just run ads for it <laughs> and i thought oh, maybe yeah. i should yeah. And so I reached out to the film on their website, got a response pretty quick back, was kind of surprised about that. And they were asking for, you know, the dimensions for the ad and they, they were going to deliver the artwork. And then two days later, I've, I got a call from a reporter on foxnews.com asking all about it. Mm-hmm. And I kind of thought, well, what in the world have we stumbled on here, onto here? And it kind of went you know, from there, we had some local publications pick it up. I ended up writing an op-ed and, and another national publication about it. I got some of our friends in the IBO to jump on board, and the ads were seen all over the country, donated, and we estimated, you know, well over $50,000 in donated ad space in just a few weeks, and it got all kind of publicity. It was a fun thing to be a part of, and they were very appreciative the folks at Pure Flix. In fact, they even invited my wife and I to a premiere of another movie they did here in Nashville a couple years later. So it, it was a fun thing to be a part of. So there was an example of a, you made a decision to carry an ad to promote speech for a Christian movie that some another company didn't want to carry, which leads me to a bigger question of how do you decide, Ike, what you will and will, won't show on your billboards? Or have there been times where you've said, no, I'm not comfortable? And how do you decide what you will and won't show on your billboards? Sure. That's a great question. And I think we're going to we're going to encounter that question over and over and over. I got to be careful. I don't want to make myself a huge target of someone who's going to, you know, an activist group or something like that. But yes. what I what I will say is we have a content policy that is family friendly. Mm-hmm. Is, are the ads family friendly? And we the litmus test is if I'm driving down the road with my kids and we see an ad, am I going to have an uncomfortable time explaining this to them? Is this mm-hmm. something that is is going to create a hardship or an uncomfortable moment 
for people when their kids are in the car. That is not a place that people should have to worry as you're driving down the road. Are my kids going to see an ad that is going to create a conversation I didn't want to have for a couple more years? I don't mm-hmm. want to do that to somebody. And so that's kind of the way we look at it now. We're not prude. You know, one of the fun things about billboards is you can use comedy and, and, and you can provoke thought, but you can do it in a positive way. It's not always about what can we get away with. You know, we have to be careful right now as billboard operators because there's a big trend in I'm going to go get a billboard. I'm going to put a really polarizing statement on it and I'm going to get a ton of earned media out of it. You know, the local station is going to cover it in the newspaper and everyone's going to look at it. And uh, I'm going to give all get all this extra publicity because I'm kind of just willing to be polarizing to somebody. So some of that can be fun. But some of it can, you know, we're being used, (laughs) we're being pawns in sort of their scheme. So you got to be careful about that. And so, you know, we we got approached a couple years ago by a super PAC that wanted to put an ad up that said the NRA is a terrorist organization. And, you know, I'm for gun rights, but I'm also for free speech. But we're not going to put that on a billboard because that is just meant to literally polarize the crud out of people. And we didn't want to be a pawn in that. So they came back, you know, and put an ad up that said in the NRA. Okay. Mm -hmm. while we didn't agree with the message, it was not near as polarizing. And what was funny is in billboards, and you've probably seen this too, is you put an ad up for one point of view, somebody with another point of view comes back to you and says, I want to advertise as well. And so we picked up a local gun safe company that got on the other side of the billboard and they had their own dueling mm-hmm. feud out on our billboards and uh, we made money off of it. And, and nobody said anything on the board that was overly polarizing or you know was overly provocative or obscene. What are you hearing about what the Tennessee legislature is doing to fix the Tennessee sign code? I know they're looking at it right now. I'm not the best source of information on this. I did talk to a local state rep a few weeks ago after the local Tennessee group had a reception to host some of the local reps. I communicated to him and his understanding from talking to other folks is it is a high level issue that needs to be addressed right away. The one thing I can say from my point of view, being an operator in Tennessee, is it's it's a strange time when you're getting letters from TDOT that says we're not enforcing rules right now and we're not requiring you to pay your permits right now. It, it's odd. The instinct or the temptation is to go out and build a ton of billboards wherever you can. But we have restrained ourselves from doing that. My point of view is that, that that very well could come back to bite us in a very negative way. And we've got to get comfortable in the business of being good to the community and also embracing smart regulation. So obviously, I'm not telling anyone anybody anything they don't know already, but we've got to have smart regulation. But it is strange from the standpoint of, of getting the correspondence from TDOT, and I've called them to ask mm-hmm. them a couple of questions, and they're going, well, we're not, <laughs> we're not enforcing anything right now. And so I hope they get it wrapped up quickly. Because, you know, I see people breaking the rules and putting moving objects on their digitals and doing, you know, shorter dwell times in eight seconds and things like that. And it's just it's not good for the industry. Terrible for the industry. Uh, We need a solution. Yeah. To me, nothing is to be gained by trying to be an anarchist in the situation. What I hear is that many Tennessee communities have put in place sign moratorium right now because they're just they don't want anything to be built. So they're just anyone to try and take advantage of this vacuum. There's a lot of fear out there that, you know, nobody wants to do the wrong thing and end up in a a lawsuit. And so kind of feels like a lot of paralysis through analysis. 
And we need to get this solution right away because there is a domino effect, like you're saying. We, we, we've got to get a solution in place that's that's legal and move on down the road because it, it's not good for, for anybody right now. Ike, what's been your most successful local out-of-home sales campaign? That's an interesting question. Lots of different successful local campaigns. One that comes to mind is a few years ago, we donated a month of free ads on one of our digital boards for an auction. And this heating and air company won the auction and we'd never worked with them before. And so they came to us and said, hey, we got 30 days of free ads. You know, we want to just put up our business name. And my thought was, okay, we could do this. We could just put up their their business name, but what could we do to get a response for these guys in a short amount of time? Because we'd love to continue working with them. And so we were able to steer them toward offering a very specific offer. It was a $59 AC tune-up and duct cleaning. And, you know, I called the guy about two weeks later and he said, I've been getting compliment after compliment. I'm getting calls like crazy. I really didn't think this would work, but I've been pleasantly surprised. We want to keep going. And so it really helped his business sort of jumpstart. And the bad part of this story is we worked ourselves out of a job because six months later he had to come off the board because he couldn't handle oh my. the influx of calls that he was getting. And so the good part of the story at the end here is that he eventually came back on after yes. he was able to get his infrastructure out from uh, you know uh, underneath him, yes. hire some more people, get some more trucks. But it was a, a fun story that we did a specific offer off of something we donated, and we ended up getting far more back than we ever put in on the deal. And we saw someone's company grow before our eyes and sort of see their dream realized. That's the fun stuff. Mm -hmm. What's your view of the automated sales platforms, AdQuick, Adomni, Blip? Five Star Planet X. It seems like there's a race right now to create an automated way of selling space on billboards. How, how do you evaluate that system, that ecosystem? I think it's a natural progression. I don't think we need to, you know, resist it. Obviously, you know, be responsible in how we implement it. But it's it's necessary. It's what the market is asking for. You know, with some of the social media platforms, there's so many people out there that have done their own buys on their own, and that's the way they want to do it. But that doesn't mean that there's going to be people that don't want to have the personal touch and the relationship with how they buy ads. And so it's, it's happening across all kind of ad platforms. We've used Blip. In fact, Blip has brought us some people that were advertising that we never would have called on. It's also brought us other clients through, you know, sort of a FOMO approach, fear mm. of missing out. There was a, an apartment complex that bought through Blip and then another apartment complex called us directly and they wanted to advertise because they saw the other one advertising and they ended up doing a much longer campaign. So it's worked out well for us because we want to deal with the folks that are wanting to do longer term. And if somebody wants a few days, then we're happy to push them through a, a place like Blip. So it's worked out for us. We've gotten other buys off of Blip and all the outreach they do from an advertising standpoint. I can't really speak to the other ones yet. We definitely are an apparatus client and we'll be implementing some of those when the time is right. But I think we need to embrace it. You know, again, mm -hmm. I, I go back to my radio side and a lot of folks in radio, you know, they resist. Newspaper folks resist because they, they, they see the change and they want to try to, you know, act like it's not happening. You know, let's embrace it. Let's harness it. Let's use it to our advantage. But within, you know, responsible parameters, let's implement it the right way. It seems like we are moving towards a system where I will be able at a flip of a switch 
to add any of these automated services at a flip of a switch, add them onto my billboard. Maybe we're not there yet, but that's where we're going to be headed in the future. I agree. I agree. I think the, the question remains is what what will this do for local sales reps? You know, how does this affect their job? You know, because from an owner standpoint, I look at it and go, yeah, that's more profitability. These are buys that are coming in when I'm not having to touch or put any attention to. That's great. So I think I think it comes down to with local sales reps, we've got to educate them on, you know, let, let's move them beyond just sales. Let's give them training into, you know, the technology, help them understand the business as much as possible. And, you know, maybe maybe they should be also out looking for leases for us, too, if they're not already. So it may it may create a growth opportunity for local sales reps, you know, depending on how it goes. That's just a guess at this point. Hi, you operate a 40 face indoor TV screen network in addition to your out of home company. How does that business work? We started this indoor digital billboard network, as we call it. It's also known as place-based advertising. We started it back in 2015 as a way to get around some of the local billboard regulations in one of these towns that we started in. So we've been in business for you know six or seven years in this town. We didn't have one billboard in the town because of, of the regulations, and we were sort of tired of having all these local relationships and not being able to work with any of the people that we knew because we didn't have any billboards. So we built this local network. I did a lot of research. We looked into some of the bathroom ads and some stuff like that. And we just didn't want to do that. We wanted to do something that was high quality. There's other people that are doing these screens in local establishments, and they do it on a little screen. The ads look like business cards, and it was just low quality. And so, you know, we decided let's do this, but let's deliver value back to the audience. If we get an engaged audience, they're going to see the ads, and our advertisers are going to get the value back. And so we started putting screens in local establishments like restaurants, nail salons, gyms, anywhere where someone spent anywhere from 15 minutes to an hour. And we do 15 second ads. And then we also put in, you know, local high school sports scores, local weather, local community events. We put things that are very, very local, hyper local content that they wouldn't necessarily get when they watch the local TV station for Nashville. This is stuff that's very specific to their to their town and their neighborhood. And so we, we knew we could deliver value there. And so it has been a good business for us. It's one of the fastest growing segments of out of home. We're in sort of the level of restaurants and gyms and nail salons and doctor's offices and places like that. There's another level that you can go into where you're putting up more of a monument style sign in stadiums or malls or things like that. You know, we haven't gotten into that, but the the sector that we're in has proven very valuable for our advertisers. It's been a lot of fun. We're essentially putting TV screens up in places where, where people are, are going to be looking around. You know, when you go to a nail salon, you can't get on your phone when they're working on your, your nails. You have nowhere to look but up at the mm -hmm. TV. And so it's been a valuable part of our business for sure. And we don't deal with all the regulations. It's less less hectic. It's not as, doesn't drive as much revenue as the outdoor side, but there's a lot of pluses from the standpoint of the regulations and then, you know, lease costs and things like that. The structure is different. So it's, it's not as much out of pocket as well. How big are these screens? We go from anywhere from a 40 inch TV screen to a 60 inch TV screen. Are you doing a lease with the restaurant? Uh, are you doing a lease and you incorporate a rent or a rev share into a lease? How, how do you how do you get permission to go into someone's restaurant or facility? 
so far we've been able to avoid any of that kind of stuff hmm. and we've we've done a barter deal we've done yeah. straight barter so you know one of the perks of having this tv in your local establishment is you're going to have instant local content that is always being updated you know so you're delivering value back to your patrons but also you get ads on that particular screen so you can upsell your existing customers give them a reason to come back Oh, you're here on Tuesday. Well, Thursday is margarita night. You should come back or trivia or whatever it's going to be. So you give them a reason to come back. You set an appointment with your customer. And then you also get ads outside of your location on some of our other locations. So not only do you get to target your your customer that's there, you also get to bring people in with free advertising outside of your location. So for a local establishment, there's there's no cost. There's no downside to doing it. And you get free advertising and free local content inside your inside your business. You've written before in Billboard Insider about work-life balance. How do you manage it? When my wife and I made the decision to go out on our own and do this full-time, the one thing I wanted to make sure of is that the business didn't run me, that I ran the business. And so we've put a lot of processes in place, a lot of automation, to be able to step away from the business when we need to, to be able to address the business remotely, through, you know, Google Drive and some things like that, through apparatus. I wanted tools to help us be as efficient as possible because I didn't want to have the business run our life. And so the family is number one and the business comes after that. You know, one of our core values for our company is God, family, work in that order. And so we try to live it out. It's it's not a perfect balance. It's certainly not something we strike all the time, but at the end of the day, if we're in business and we never get to see our family or it's very scarce or you're you know, so stressed when you're around them, what is the point? I don't want to do this if you know, I can't be in business and enjoy my family and have them have access to me. And so that was a big, big sort of requirement, base level requirement that I want to be in business, but... I want to also be around my family. And if it ever was, you know, inverted, then I needed to make a change. You know, it's, I couldn't agree more. The epiphany for me was I was traveling a lot for my job and I was in an airport and I heard a guy mentoring another guy while we were waiting for the flight, a senior executive mentoring a junior executive. And I really liked the style of the senior executive. Turns out I was sitting next to him on the airplane, so I opened up a conversation with him. He's a Fortune 500 CEO. He was a lion in winter. He was at the end of his career. He had everything. He was successful. He was mentoring a young man to take over the business. He had everything. And I, I thought, oh, this is great. I can get this nugget of wisdom. What do you know now that you wish you knew when you started the career? Or what would you do different, I asked him. He said to me, I wish I'd spent more time with my family. And I'm thinking, Dave, how many times do you have to hear this? And it caused me to change how, change how I operate because you, you never get the time back with your family. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Nobody on their deathbed says, I wish I w- would have worked more. Time is something you can't get back. So I agree 100%. And, you know, it, sometimes it takes bumping your head into some things over and over and over and over before it finally sinks in. And, and it really has sunk in in the last few years for me that if at the end of the day, what we're doing it all for, you know, we're not getting that quality of life, then do something else. Change the way you're doing it because it's not worth it.
That's all for this week. Thanks for coming on the show, Ike. Thanks for having me. This podcast was edited by Lucas Jones and sponsored by Adomni. Adomni. Increase your revenue today by listing your digital billboard on Adomni. You can listen to episodes of the Billboard Insider podcast by visiting BillboardInsider.com or by subscribing to the Billboard Insider podcast on iTunes or the usual podcast outlets. Our email is BillboardInsider at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. I'll be back in a couple weeks.